Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. Hi, good morning, everyone. That's quite an introduction, isn't it? I feel like... like Although it started well with My Little Pony and then went, went downhill a little bit. Um, it's great. Um, uh, where's Jim Musgrave? Just, like, does Jim not have the most incredible voice? I feel like, like I, love, I love the Bible and I love hearing about the Bible. I feel like, Jim, could, like one day, could you just follow me around and narrate my life? Like, it, like, you've, like you've got like, this perfect voice for, for voiceovers. It's wonderful. Um, it's a real privilege to be here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rob Riddler. That's my real name. That's not a stage name. Um, and any jokes about Batman or anything like that, feel free. If you can come up with something original, I might give you... If I've got a pound in my pocket, if you can come up with something original, I'll give you a pound. Um, good luck, though. Uh, I went to an all-boys school, okay? So there was a lot of abuse for that. Um, and this morning, I'm going to talk to you about faith. Uh, and faith is a thing which really is everywhere. And we talk about it, you know, particularly in a Christian context, but faith is everywhere around us. Like, you all had faith this morning when you walked into the building that something was going to happen, that you weren't just coming to sit in a room with a bunch of people staring at a blank screen. You all had faith when you got in your car or when you got on a bus or whatever that that would get you here safely. You had faith that at the end of worship, when you were allowed to sit down, the person behind wasn't going to pull your chair away. Like, I love that prank. Um, it's great. I haven't done it for a long time. Not in church anyway. And I had faith this morning, let me tell you, because I don't know about anyone. I have magic clothes. Ooh. I, had, I have magic clothes. I don't know if anyone else does. Um, my clothes do this wonderful trick where the buttons don't quite close. Sometimes it's like they shrink overnight. So I had faith this morning that this shirt would close, and it didn't. So my faith was not rewarded, hence why we're now open with a T-shirt underneath. Um, but that's my clothes. That's nothing to do with me. I, I have, I have um, magic clothes. Um, a slightly cheesy title, Navigating the Streams of Life. Hopefully you'll see why I've used that as an example. And this morning, I am going to do part Bible teach and part therapy session. Is that okay? Um, I am going to spend around about an hour and a quarter talking about... Why were there laughs? Um, you haven't heard me speak often enough, obviously. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to talk a bit from the Bible and a bit from mine and my wife's life. Not because I want to have a therapy session. I think I'm talking about stuff from a few years ago. I'm kind of over it, I think, just about. We'll see, we'll see. If I start crying, then I'm clearly not. Um, but I want to take what we read in the Bible and just give you a, this has happened in my life. I'm not just talking about a theoretical thing that we see in the Bible. This is reality. This is something we've experienced. So if I go a little bit rambly and story-like, I apologize, but some of the details are really important um, in making it clear. And when it comes to faith into the unknown, when it comes to faith stepping forward into something, 
a question that I asked and wrestled with when I was younger, having you know, grown up in a Christian, Christian home and always been in church, and like, well, I've always had faith. I, I, I haven't had a time when I've not had faith. I've believed in God my whole life. I've followed God my whole life. I made a decision to follow Jesus as a six-year-old. We didn't have NLK. We didn't have anything like that. There was only me and my brother were the only kids in our church. And so we'd have to sit in the sermon. And we were allowed to take a coloring book or a puzzle book or something like that. And I remember as a six-year-old sat there, I decided one day, it was February the 10th, um, 1993, for anyone who genuinely cares. And I, I decided I'm going to put down, put down my puzzle book and I'm going to sit and listen. And I couldn't tell you what was said. Couldn't tell you anything. I just finished the service and I turned to my mum and said, it's not enough that you believe in Jesus, is it? I have, I have to make a choice for myself. And mum was like, well, yeah. So I went up and spoke to the elder of the church, a lovely man called Mick Nash, who'd been preaching. And I was like, you know, Uncle Mick, because like, when, when I was a kid, everyone was Uncle and Auntie. Like, we don't do that anymore. Like, Sam and Reuben just call people oi. But now, like, it was Uncle and Auntie for anyone who was senior. Uh, and um, Uncle Mick, like, I... I want to follow Jesus. So prayed, and so from six, I've always had that. And what happens when something comes up and I don't know what to do? Does God say, hey, in a big booming voice, this is the path, go this way? Or do I have to make a step and have faith that God's going to do something once I've made that step? The answer is, both, really helpfully. Uh, and sometimes we don't know which way that we're supposed to go. So I want to start with, with the first example of the kind of big booming voice of heaven that says, this is the way to go. Because that's how it actually, maybe, Jim, maybe you could be the voice of God for us. Um, this is the way to go. So I'm going to take us all the way back into the Old Testament, to the story in the Exodus. And I want you to be in the mindset of, of the slaves as they have been freed initially from Egypt. Okay? They, are, they have seen this incredible move of God. They've had the plagues and the Passover, and God's, there, and God's like, I'm going to set you free. And then God sets them free, and then they go. And they're out of Egypt, and they get to the Red Sea. I love computer noises. They get to the Red Sea, and they stand there and turn around. I'm going to turn my back to the audience. I apologize. Okay. And behind them, they see clouds of dust as the Egyptian army chases them down because they realize their slave labor, their fruit food producers, have gone. And immediately, they've forgotten about the plagues. They've forgotten about what God's done, and they've gone, no, 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 we want our slaves back, and they're chasing after them. And, and the Hebrew people go to Moses, their leader, and this is the first thing they say to him, have you brought us here to die because there's not enough graves back in Egypt? That's, that's how you start a story of faith, right? <laughs> have you, like, God's, now, the Israelites get a really hard time, okay, from us and from me, right, that they constantly lack faith and they constantly doubt. I mean, I mean they do, right, but they're, they're brought up in an Egyptian culture and in what we call the ancient Near East, that kind of part of the world which uh, today is sort of, you know, the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, down into Egypt and, and parts of Sudan and places like that. They believed that gods 
were limited. Okay, that gods had particular domains that they reigned over, whether it be the weather or the river or crops or life or death or birth, or that gods have an area that they look after. And that the gods are bound geographically. Okay, if you, if you ever look into the kind of mythology of ancient Egypt, they have gods of the northern kingdom and gods of the southern kingdom. And within the gods of the northern kingdom, there are the north northern kingdom and the south northern kingdom. Let me get my bearings right. So gods are bound by geography. When you leave the territory of one god, you find another god to worship who does the same job, but is a different god. You've got to worship them differently, okay? That's the background of the Hebrew slaves. So they've come to the river. They're like, when we get across this river, the god that saved us, we're leaving his territory, and the God that, that did the plague stuff, well, well, now he's gone. We've left him behind. And he's not doing the plague stuff. We now need the God who's going to save us. Well, where is this God? And that's their culture. That's their mindset. So when they come to Moses and say, have you just brought us out here to die? They think Moses doesn't know which God we're supposed to be following now. Moses doesn't know which God we need to pray to or kill animals or children to appease so that that God will do something about the Egyptians and the river. Okay. And so God speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 14. Um, and, and he says to Moses, okay, this is what we're going to do. I want you to hold your staff over the river. Like the Red Sea, like you know, just a casual little body of water. Um, it's like jumping over a puddle. And, and then I'm going to part the water, and the people are going to walk through. And so we read in Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 to 25. Um, now, I, made the, like, I do everything on paper. Okay? I, I'm very old school. I don't like having an iPad or anything like that. I like, I like to write things down and I printed out my sermon slides. And because I'm, you know, I'm trying to be good, I use recycled paper, which is slightly yellowy. And I got here this morning and pulled them out and realized, I can't read the Bible verses on that. Just, I can't. So if I turn around to read the Bible verses, it's a perfectly planned thing for me to read them off the screen behind me, okay? Everyone doesn't say, yes, Rob, we believe that you planned this. We have faith that that you... All right, so Exodus Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Pause there, right? Not only is the sea parted, but it's dry, like, this, is, this, is a, this is like a rock bed. You're walking on a pavement where a couple of hours ago, there was a massive river. That's a big deal. Right. With the rain we had this week, I was walking to pick the boys up from school because um, my wife, Rachel, she's not been well this week. So I've been kind of dropping the boys at school and going to work and then leaving work early and running around here, there and everywhere. And I left the house and it was kind of drizzling. And I was wearing these shoes. Now, you can't see them, but they're, like, they're cheap from Matalan, so they're not good quality. But they are um, not a material for water. And so we get out of the house, and it's absolutely hammering it down. And you go, like, a couple of hours ago, this was dry, and now I'm like 
like wading through puddles. I've got Reuben, who's six and about this tall. And at various points, I had to pick him up and like step over massive puddles with it, right? just to keep his feet dry. Right? And that's five minutes worth of rain. Okay? It stopped raining. This was, I think this was Thursday, Friday. Stopped raining. I get, get out of work, go to pick the boys up, and I'm still squelching around even though it hasn't rained for eight hours. Now, that's just England, okay? This is Egypt. It's slightly different. But can we get the miracle here? This is not just water split. This is bone dry. Like, however many thousands of people were there, women and children and fathers, and probably, you know, there would be elderly people who can't walk easily. There'd be little kids who would lose their wellies in the mud. I assume they had wellies, right? God's like, no, no, I'm going to take care of all of that. So while you are standing here looking for your miracle, here it is. And so the people go through, and in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces, threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels, so they drove heavily. The water hasn't come back over, but it's not dry anymore. Where the people of God had walked through on dry land, the waters haven't come back over, but suddenly it's muddy and boggy. And they get stuck, and then the Egyptians are like, ah, paraphrase of that, and the water comes back in, and they're cut off, and suddenly there's now this big body of water, Hebrew people are free, Egyptians are either dead or over there, staring over the river, probably waving something at them or shouting um, words not suitable for Sunday morning use at them. And the people on the other side celebrating, and God has done the miracle that he said he was going to do. And if we've seen that, okay, we are never going to doubt again, are we? Right? That... There's some like wry laughter from the front. If you've seen a miracle like that from God, you would never need to lack faith again, would you? Everyone say, no, Rob. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have to reply. Um, life doesn't work like that, does it? And, and, and if you read, so Exodus 15 is the song of Moses and his sister Miriam, where they just lead the people in this spontaneous song about how great God is. And then chapter 16, the people went to Moses because they were hungry. Moses, have you brought us out of Egypt so that we can die in the wilderness? Because we had food back there, and yeah, we were slaves, but we had food. So can we go back? See the river? How how are you going to get? Right. Within moments of this amazing miracle, it's gone. It's gone. Um, I want to take you back to the end of 2010, start of 2011. There was no COVID. I didn't know what COVID was by this point. Um, I didn't even have a smartphone at that point. That's how far back we're going. I know, it's devastating. Um, I, I resisted that for ages, by the way. I, I, Rach had a smartphone as soon as she could. I was like, no, I don't want that on my phone. I, I don't know why. And then now it's permanently in my hand unless I'm preaching. And we were not in a good place. Um, here's, here's a therapy bit. Um, we were, we'd been married for just over two years. Um, I'd had, I played a lot of cricket as a teenager, um, a ridiculous amount of cricket. So the, the England cricket board, I was a fast bowler, and their maximum allowance for young people 
was bowling 60 balls a day, okay? Because more than that can damage them. I was averaging about 180. Like I, so I had kind of brief twinges and moments when my back was bad. And then December 2010, my back started hurting nonstop. And I've been in constant pain for almost 12 years with that now. And that's okay. And we'll talk about the faith side of that maybe a little bit later. So I was really struggling with this. At the same time, our church that we were in was completely falling apart. I was a full-time volunteer there. Um, so I was doing around about 60 to 65 hours every week. Um, on my day off, which was a Monday, I went and helped with the Mums and Tots group, despite not being a mum or having a tot. Um, but it's just what you do. And we didn't, the church had gone in the previous 18 months from about 200 to 40. And we didn't stop a single ministry. And I was in everything. So Sunday night services, I was on sound and the, and the words, the computer, and we're lucky that we've got sometimes two people. Um, and by the way, if we, we sometimes don't have two people, so if anyone wants to help in tech, here's a nice plug. Um, and other ministries are available, um, but especially tech. Uh, and then I would go up and preach and have a clicker to change my own slides. And then as soon as I finished preaching, go back to the sound desk at the back because we had nobody to... Right. So the church was in, you know, falling apart. Um, Rach was in an awful job where her boss was a bully, really malicious, nasty woman. The only person in my 36-year life that I've ever taken an instant dislike to, the first time I met her. Awful woman. And Rachel would come home crying at least two or three times a week. We were in a really dark place, and I was... Looking back, I was depressed. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I couldn't eat. And at the time, I didn't know that. I just thought, well, I'm, I'm just I'm struggling a bit here. Um, and we, something had to change. We're standing at the Red Sea, and something's got to change. But we don't know what that something is. And Rach said to me, you've got to go to Bible college. And so, like a good husband, I said, okay. We'll ignore that one. Because, um, you know, blokes, we listen when our wives know best. We listen immediately, don't we? I'm sure Mark and Russ listen to you guys perfectly every time. You, every time. Every time. Um, and we went to a conference in Bristol. Um, and I just started on Tramadol for my back. If anyone's ever had anything like Tramadol before, that was a fun conference. I was stood up in, wor- I was stood up in worship. And honestly, like, I can't sing anyway, but apparently it was even worse than normal, and I was kind of rocking a little bit. And then I had to sit down, and I closed my eyes, and I just thought I was falling. And I was like, I'm sat down on a pew. And anyway, and while there, they had, like, a prophecy session, and, you know, just, we did, like, a prophecy workshop thing, and I'd never had a prophetic word given to me personally. So I was a bit kind of like, well, it's like, I'm not skeptical. I believe in prophecy. I'd had prophetic words for people by this point, but like, that's fine. I'll, you know, I'll give. Anyway, they pulled me up to the front, not knowing anything about me. The first thing, so they're like, right, we're going we're gonna, to like, pray for this guy. And if anyone's got a prophetic word, then let's go for it. I'm like, oh, thanks. Do I get a choice in this? No, apparently. The first one, first person said, you look like a rugby player. I'm like, oh, that's nice. I definitely didn't have this then. Uh, I said, really feel God's saying that training is really important. You need to go and train like a rugby player. I was like, 
All right, that could be anything. Like, I could go and do a marathon and, and start running. And then the next person, I really feel God saying, you have a gift as a Bible teacher, but you have to go to Bible college to make that work. I feel like, I feel like God's saying something here, maybe. Um, Rach, was sat on that, Rach was sat on that side of the room. <laughs> she was just like, not quite that sassy. She's not that sassy. But in, in the, you, know, you know when you're like, you embellish things in your mind over time? It, it, she was like, sat there like that. Okay. <laughs> she might well be watching this at home, and um, I will probably get a text by the time I get down saying, I've never done that. No, she didn't do that. All right. That's just... Um, so, okay, we're, like, we're going to go to Bible college. Now, at one point, there were 120 Bible colleges in the UK. Um, there aren't that many anymore. Lots of them are closed. Some of them were kind of small with four or five people. At the time, Spurgeon's College in London was the biggest with about 120 new students every year. So it loads them. So I did my research. Like, right, okay, God said you are going to go to Bible college. That's the, like, God saying to Moses, stretch out your hand. Okay, I've got what's going to happen next and how we're getting out of this situation that we're in. Where do we go? Which Bible college? Uh, and look, looked at quite a few. Ended up, settled on two. Um, Regents Theology College, which is the Elim Pentecostal uh, Bible College down in Malvern, which I, grew, I was in an Elim church. It was close by. Made sense. Um, and Mattersea Hall. Going to get a whoop for all the four people that went to Mattersea in here. Um, and the Assemblies of God College, which was you know, 20 miles down the road from here. And everything pointed to Regents. Everything and Mattersea was just like a bit of an afterthought. And I went to the interview at Regents. Now, I'd already done a law degree by this point. Um, so Bible college, there, there are three questions that you're asked. The first one is, can you pay your fees? The second one is, can you write in English? And the third one is, can you really pay your fees? Um, and so I, I, my parents, amazingly, said that they were going to pay for me because I couldn't get a student loan already having had a degree. And I'd already got a degree. So the answer to all three questions was yes. But I was really nervous about these interviews, and I don't know why. But I went in, sat, and chatting to the principal of Regents, and he said, look, you're qualified. Can you pay? Yes. Are you sure you can pay? Yes. Great. We just had a chat for half an hour. He said, tell me about your wife. I was like, well, she, she's an economics degree. Um, she's working for a hospice at the moment, but she hates it. And he said, I reckon I've got a job for her. Really? Like, yeah, and you guys can have, like, we've got some married, flat, married people flats um, just off the side of the building, and, and you guys can have one of those at half price if Rach is working for us. Like, awesome. Well, that's it. Like, God's parted the Red Sea, right? We're going here. Went up to Mattersea, and if you've never been to Mattersea, let me describe it to you. It is a village of about four people. On a, that's when the kids come home for Christmas as well. Um, there is well, a wonderful residential block, which I can only describe as prison. Uh, and you look around this campus and you're like, yeah, this is like Regents moved into an old grammar school that they paid £14 million for that was made of Cotswold stone and like this, on the top of a hill in Malvern. And you're like, and then I've come to Mattersea. And he set foot in the residential block. And God said, this is the place. No, it's not. Um, and so I had my interview. Um, can you pay? Yes. Can you write in English? Yes, I have a law degree. Are you sure you can pay? Yes. Interview over. 
uh, driving home and speaking to Rachel, I'm like, I think God wants us to go there. And she said, yeah, I think so too. But we waited. We didn't send in the application because God, like, God had really clearly said, this is your path. Okay. Uh, and we were like, yeah, but there's the job at Regents and it's nicer. Uh, and all of that makes perfect sense. And we waited and waited and waited, and nothing came back from Regents about this job. And it, it was getting to July. And I said, we were talking, I said, I, I'm going to have to, I've got to make a decision, I'm going to have to reply. So we sent the letter back to Mattersea to say, we're going to Mattersea. Sent the letter to Regents to say, we're not going to Regents. Two hours after I posted the letter, I get a phone call from the principal of Regents to say, hey, we've got that job for Rachel. Are you interested? And everything in my head was saying, say yes, say yes, say yes. And I said, no, I'm really sorry. But I know God's taken me to Mattersea. And from Mattersea, God took me to a job in a church where I got to teach the Bible and I had to do finance. We'll ignore that bit. I met some wonderful people and also Dan. Um, <laughs> And, and in that moment where we were in the worst circumstances we've ever been in our life, God said, go that way. That's the direction. And I'm going to part everything and you're going to walk through in that direction. And everything that has happened in our life after that is because God parted the Red Sea in front of us and said, this is the really clear and obvious path. And I want you to go that way. So, if you don't like me this morning, then blame God, because he brought me here. Um, but sometimes, sometimes, God doesn't do the miracle before we have to move. Uh, and when we get to this, the end of the extra story, and we're going to be looking at the start of Joshua in a second. We've now got a new generation. The old generation who saw the miracle at the Red Sea and the plagues and received the law first said, we're not going into the promised land because it's too scary. And God said, okay, you're not going in. That's what you want. Fine. You're going to wander in the desert until your generation dies out, but there will be a new generation that will trust me. And this new generation are now standing at the edge of the River Jordan. And they're looking over into the promised land that, that God said, I'm going to give this to you. Now, this generation have grown up knowing none of the stuff from Egypt, none of that baggage. They've grown up knowing that Yahweh travels with us wherever we go. Knowing that Yahweh has given us victory in every battle we've had, despite the fact that we are a bunch of runaway slaves which is in essence what they were. We know that every day we get food. We know that whenever we're thirsty, there's water to come out of a rock or there's an oasis in the middle of nowhere in the desert. We know that God has provided everything for us. And that's this generation now that is standing on the edge of the River Jordan. Um, and so here is what the kind of the start of this section does, please, Dan. Joshua chapter 3. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Covenant, massive, heavy box, covered in gold, which is not light, filled with stone tablets. All right? 
This is not, this is not like me picking up my phone and saying what I'm going to do. This is, this is like heavy-duty machinery. Okay. When you come to the brink of the waters, you shall stand still in the Jordan. In, not by, not near. Okay. Let's put this Hey, let's all go and stand on the edge of the trent. Yeah? Everyone up for that? No, 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 not the edge of the trent. We're going to get to the edge of the trent and say, right, I'm now going to stand in it, carrying um, all of the PA equipment. <laughs> all right. Dan, you're having the bass drum on your back. Um, Dave, you're going to carry the guitar and the bass. Um, that, like, that's what we're going to do, okay? Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Everyone's like, yeah, we'll do that. No, thanks. Um, you shall, and Joshua said to the people, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Here you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive from before you all the ites. We'll skip that. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the covenant, let me say that again, the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the covenant shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. This is not stand here and watch the waters part. This is, hey, get in the water and trust that I'm going to stop it for you. The River Jordan is not a small river. It's huge. Um, the average water flow is around about three miles an hour. Okay, so an average river flow of water is three miles an hour. The Jordan is estimated to be seven. This is twice as fast as a typical river. Okay. Uh, let me tell you, this is a faith move, right? This is, not, this is not a simple thing that God is telling the people to do. This is a big deal. Like, if those, those waters on Thursday, when I was taking Reuben to school, I felt like if I'd picked Reuben up in my hands and the water had hit me, I'd probably have gone down, right? And just ended up in a heap in the water, right? And that was just because one of the drains was blocked and there was water coming down the street. That's not the River Trent, right? That's not the River Jordan. This is, hey, go and carry the heaviest thing you've ever carried in your life and stand in a river, and see what's going to happen. And so this is what happens in the next part of the passage, verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests dipped in the bank of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its bank throughout the time of harvest. I'm sorry, what? Can we pause there a sec? Not only is this one of the fastest rivers in the world, but it's overflowing. Hands up, genuinely, who's getting in that river? Norman. Thank you, Norman. Okay, you are probably on your own, Norman, I'm afraid, but I love it. Right? I'm not getting in that river. I don't care that I know that God provides everything. I am not getting in that. And I think we're all feeling exactly the same way at this point. 
The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, sitting that is beside the Arathan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of the Arab of the Salt Sea were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation had passed over the Jordan. If the priests had been like me, they're not crossing the Jordan. This doesn't happen. This doesn't happen without a moment where, hey, go and step out and see what's going to happen. So, but here's the thing I love about this. Adam is seven miles away. Adam is seven miles upstream from where the site of Jericho is believed to have been. And so, In order for that water to stop when the priests were in it, at least an hour earlier, God had already stopped it. God didn't wait until they got in the water to stop it, because if God stopped it seven miles upstream, they'd be standing in the water for an hour. As soon as they stepped in the water, God had already done the miracle. They just didn't know it. And when God says to us, step out, he's already done the miracle. We just can't see it yet. 2019, um, a bit more recent, so this is a bit more up-to-date therapy um, for me. We were in the church that I joined after we left Mattersea, and we'd gone, we knew it wasn't our long-term home. You know, we chatted to the pastor even before we started, and this is, this is a place we're coming to serve for the time being. And we agreed, uh, we had a two-year commitment from the church and from me. I'm going to be there for two years. And we're six years in, and we knew that it was time to leave. Now, not because it was a problem, not because of any bad people, we didn't fall out. It was just, it was time for us to leave. But we'd said, look, we've got to wait for God on this. We've got to wait till God parts the Red Sea. We didn't use that language. but uh, And in March 2019, Rach had a dream that said it's time to leave. And she told me this. And as a good husband, I listened and said, yes, that's exactly what will happen now. I said, no, I, God needs to, I, I believe, but God needs to talk to me as well. And so about three nights later, I had a dream. And this is what the dream said. It's time to leave. And when you've left, I'll show you where you're going. Go and step in the river. The next day, I had a, a WhatsApp message from a friend of mine from Bible College who I hadn't spoken to in a couple of years. Um, he sent me, I said, I had a dream about you last night. Do you mind if I share it? And at this point, you're like, yeah, okay, God, I've got the message. Rings me, um, tells me this dream. And the, the gist of it, all three dreams, very different, but all of them were it's time to go, and I'll tell you later where you're going. And he said to me, I don't know if this is just me, but I feel God saying three months. In three months, you'll know where you're going. And I dismissed this because I know best. I don't know. I just dismissed it. Anyway, so handed in my notice, 20th of March, 2019, handed in my notice at church. Now, this is not just our church where we serve. Um, where, we, where we go on a Sunday, this is the church where I work. So this is also my job. This is also my only teaching. And I love teaching the Bible and felt called to teach the Bible. And God had said to me, I want you to give up going to the church. I want you to give up your job. I want you to give up all your Bible teaching. 
And I don't do things like that. Okay, um, you could ask Dan some stories about me. I, everything is planned and structured. Okay, so my clothes, I never choose what I wear. I know, surprising. No, I never choose what I wear because I have a rotation system for my clothes. And you're laughing, but that is genuinely true. Okay, um, I have a full rotation system for my clothes. And it doesn't matter, I don't wear jumpers, I don't wear coats. Unless I'm preaching or at work, I wear shorts. So I have two pairs of trousers or two pairs of shorts on the go at a time, one black, one blue. They alternate each day and then they go in the wash. And then next one, and then I have, if I'm at work, it's a shirt. If I'm not at work, it's a t-shirt. And I set them out the night before and I go to bed. And then when I get up in the morning, I go and brush my teeth. And then I get the bottom half dressed while brushing my teeth, mouthwash, that out, back in, into my, into my clothes, grab my work bag downstairs every day. That is what I do. And as much of my day as I can systematize and plan and structure, I do. I have a system for doing the washing up. There is an order that washing up is done in. Okay? There is an order that washing up is done in. Okay? Kids' bottles, like kids' bottles and stuff are done first. Then cutlery goes in the bottom to soak, then you wash the cups and the mugs, then you get the cutlery out, then depending on the color of the water, how much you've got to do. If it's a bit grim, you do a couple of pots, first wash, put them back, drain the water. Okay, like there's a system for everything. Rach and I cannot hang up a load of washing together because she just grabs the first thing and hangs it up on the line and I have Reuben's pants, Reuben's socks paired, Sam's pants, Sam's socks paired, right? There's a, everything has a system and the system has no place for just give it all up and see what's going to happen. Uh, and so I handed in my notice to leave at the end of July. Okay, 31st of July, 2019 is when I'm going to finish work. And um, we're, at, we're in June, and I am panicking like mad. Um, yeah, well, Lee, I am just panicking, okay? Um, physically, emotionally, everything. And Rach and I were on holiday in Rome. We'd planned it for our 10th anniversary, and we'd, we'd managed to save up enough money, and we went. I get a phone call in Rome, which I don't answer, because I'm in Rome, um, from the principal of our old Bible college. And so I'm like, oh, maybe I should call him back. So I call him back. Hey, one of our guys is retiring. I need somebody who I can trust to do the sort of senior admin stuff, and I need them to start on the 1st of August. And so I left our church, and I had HR people listen away. I didn't apply. I had no interview. I probably wasn't qualified. But I left the church on the Wednesday, and on the Thursday I walked into Mattersea. What I didn't know was just how much God had already done behind the scenes to make that happen. And let me indulge with a few details for a moment. That year, I went to the Assemblies of God National Conference, and I wasn't supposed to go. Okay, The church had bought a bunch of tickets, and I'd said, look, I'm leaving. Give the ticket I was going to have to one of the young leaders. Like, let them go. It would be much better and really important for them to go and hear and be built up and for you all as a team going forward at church to be there. Anyway, someone dropped out. So on the day of the conference, so do you want to come? It's like, yeah, all right. Sat in the first session, and um, like, you won't see this, okay, but I am incredibly shy. Like, 
If we have a party, I'm in the kitchen. I'm not even in the corner. I'm just avoiding people. I'm re- I struggle socially, right? And I can preach because this is God. Like, this isn't me. But if I wanted just to talk about myself without the context of a sermon, because I realize I'm talking about myself at the moment, I, c- I couldn't do it. I can't. I, right, so the national leader spoke, and I felt really strongly I need to send him an email. Right. Just, I am a kid working at a church doing finance, and I'm sending the national director of AOG an email. Why? I don't know. But I did it. Get an email back from his kind of his his assist, not assistant, it's kind of right hand man. Say, hey, let's meet up. I'm over at Mattersea sometimes. Let's have a meal. Went out for a meal. Had loads in common with this guy. At the conference, I saw the principal of the college, and we were just having a chat. And I hadn't wanted to say to anyone, yeah, I'm leaving the church. Because um, I just I didn't want to do that. It's a bit uncomfortable. But he said, hey, how's the church going? It's like, oh, I've got to say that we're leaving. Okay. When this other guy from Mattersea was retiring, Glenn, the principal, went into Stuart, who I'd met up with, and said, hey, Robin's retiring. We need someone. And Stuart said, what about Rob Riddler? Met him. I think he can do the job. And Glenn said, that's really interesting. Because I was going to suggest him. Glenn, the principal, then went to one of, one of the kind of admin and lecturer people and said, we've got this job. And she said, what about Rob Riddler? See, I'd studied with her, and she'd stayed at our house, and her husband had lived with us for four months before they'd got married. And because we'd been hospitable to her, she knew me. And then Glenn went and talked to one of the other lecturers and said, hey... What about this guy? And she, I'd never met her, by the way, but she said, I marked his dissertation four years ago. It was brilliant. Like, she's a bit blinkered. Right. She said, it was brilliant. We need to get him in. And then Glenn went and talked to Mark, and Mark said, who's Rob Riddler? I've no idea who that is. <laughs> but while I'm over here, handing in my notice and panicking, and I don't, I'm standing in the river, God, and you're, nothing is happening. That's where I was. God, you told me to stand here, and you've not come through. God has already done the miracle. Four years ago, when someone marked my dissertation. Seven years ago, when I sat in before he was the principal, I sat in Glenn's classroom and I wasn't supposed to be doing his module, but I couldn't do the one I was supposed to, so I sat in with him anyway. And so he taught me and marked my essays and we chatted and he knew what I was like long before any of this. I don't email national leaders and say, hey, can I help you or do something? But all of that stuff is not from me. God did the miracle in the background so that at the right moment he could say, you're in the river, now let me show you it parting. And we we don't always get what we're believing for. True for anyone? We have faith in God for stuff. I hesitated to say this because I don't want to finish on a down, but this is really important. We don't always see the thing that we have faith for. We can have faith that people who are ill are going to recover. 
and they don't. I work for a missions charity now, and um, one of, not one of our missionaries, but someone in their team um, out in the far, far east of Asia um, contracted meningitis. 25-year-old woman, healthy, fit, contracted meningitis, was going to be transferred to another hospital. We were praying, like, you know, God, like, she's fit and healthy. The doctor's like, she, she should be all right. She died in the ambulance. Oh, God, we were praying for this woman. Why, why has she not been healed? You know, people that we will all probably have stories of that and examples of that where I've put faith in God that God's going to come through in this way. It doesn't happen. What do we do with that? Because I know plenty of people who have lost faith in God completely because he hasn't come through in the way that, that they wanted it to. The thing that they were believing, and, and wholeheartedly, please, I'm not saying that they're believing the wrong thing. Just, we pray for stuff. God, come through for me. Come through for this person. And it doesn't happen. And there are lots of, lots of examples in the Bible um, where things don't go the way people want. And there's a slide behind. Um, up. I'm not going to talk through all of them. Um, and some of these things don't come through because people do daft things. Um, like Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit, I don't think they thought we are going to be kicked out of the garden here and we're, we're going to die. I don't think they thought that was what was going to happen. I don't think David, when he had an affair with Bathsheba, thought, because of this, I'm not going to be able to build the temple and, and I'm not, that, that God's told me that, you know, that he wants to build and, and that I'm going to lose the faith of my army and that and then he kind of brings Bathsheba into the house and then their baby dies. Uh, and he, that was a stupid thing. Okay, I'm not saying that that was right. But he had a picture and like, okay, God, I've done something stupid. Let's move forward now. And it doesn't go the way he wants it to. Joseph. I mean, Joseph. Joseph, one day you are going to rule over your brothers. But by the way, you're going to go and be a slave for a while. Oh, and after you've been a slave... You're going to go to prison. Right? Imagine. Okay, let's, let's put Joseph in our terms today. Hey, uh, I'm going to pick on Elena. Elena, you are going to go and be president of the United States. Woo, good luck, America. No, you are going to be president. You, sorry, I'm sorry. You are going to be president of the United States of America. Um, but before you do that, you are going to go and wash dishes for Donald Trump for five years. Um, and you're going to do that really well. And then... You're going to do nothing wrong, and then you're going to go to Guantanamo Bay for two years. And you're going to be beaten, and you're going to be imprisoned and tortured in horrible conditions. But after that, you're going to be president. Yes or no? No, right? That's the right answer in a non-faith way, right? That is Joseph's mission. When Joseph had the dream of what he was going to look like, I don't think he had slavery and imprisonment in mind. And um, Paul, Paul has a thorn in the flesh. And there's all kinds of different theories about what that is. Talk to Mark, because he is the Paul guy, um, if you want to know more afterwards. I can sidestep that nicely from the stage. Paul, the man of faith, the man who prayed for people and they were resurrected, the man who walked into mobs and walked out again, the man who was imprisoned and beaten and tortured and, and bitten by a snake and just carries on as if nothing happened. 
Incredible faith, incredible example to us all, but lived with something that afflicted him for his whole life. And he says, I prayed and asked God to take this away. And God said, no. I prayed again. He said, no. I prayed again. He said, no. So I've got to get on with it. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are three men who are friends of Daniel, and they are serving high up in King Nebuchadnezzar's office in Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, as all tyrants um, and narcissists do, built a 20-foot statue to himself and said, hey, once a day, when the trumpet blows, everyone bow down and worship me, this guy. Um, Good guy. I think we'd have got on with Nebuchadnezzar really well. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no, we're not going to do that. Um, some, some of the court officials notice this. Bring them before Nebuchadnezzar. Now, they're, they're in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Okay? They're not peasants. So the peasants wouldn't be given an audience with the king to have a dialogue. They would have just been burned. Okay? But they're given this chance to chat with Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what it says in Daniel chapter 4, I'm going to say, because I haven't... Turn to the right slide. Daniel chapter, I was close. There's only one chapter up. So what it says in Daniel chapter 6. So Nebuchadnezzar is talking to these three. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that they be brought. They brought the men. Nebuchadnezzar said, is it true Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I like the O, by the way. I feel like he's going to launch into Oklahoma then. Oh, Shadrach, Meshach. No. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up. Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, no idea what a trigon is, by the way, if anyone knows, please tell me. Um, harp, maybe we could get one in on a Sunday from one week. Um, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. I like that. If you realize that you've been silly and that I could have you killed for not worshiping me, then we're all good. Well and good. Fine. No bother whatsoever. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Tough call. Bow down and worship the statue. Die. Um, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And look, you're going, that's where you're going? Like you're going, which God can save you from me? And you feel like in, like in heaven, God's like, hold my coat. Uh, and so this is, this is where they are, right? Uh, and so they respond to Nebuchadnezzar in what is the most incredible way? And this is my answer for when we believe that something's going to happen and it doesn't, what do we do with that? The three men said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to sing this time, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. God is going to come through and save us, but, and this, if I cry, it's because this hits me, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you've set up. Even if the God I put my faith in doesn't come through in the way that we think he should, the way that we want him to, the way we need him to, He's my, he's my God, and I will worship no one else. And the end of this story is that God saves them. Go and read Daniel chapter 3. It, it, it's fascinating. But their faith in the faithfulness of God was such that even if he does not come through, 
I'm still going to worship him with everything I have. I am still going to believe in him. And that's a real challenge to me. Because I have a plan for everything and I see the way that I want life to end up. What if it doesn't end up that way? See, last year, the college relocated to Manchester. And I left. Sorry, Mark. I left. The job that I dreamed about, the job that God gave me out of nowhere, I had to leave it. And so I'm now working for Mrs. Charity, and I do finance. And I hate finance. (laughs) Okay? I hate finance. And I'm doing my PhD part-time because I believe that God said, I want you to lecture at Mattersea. And that's the only reason I'm doing it. And now I'm not there. I'm doing a job I don't enjoy. It pays the bills, and I'm incredibly grateful. Don't hear the wrong thing. But I've had to step away from what I believe God had given me that I thought was for the rest of my life. What do I want to do with that? I'm standing at the edge of a river. And we are all somewhere around a river in our life. Maybe you are standing looking at a river in front of you that you don't know how to get across. There's circumstances you can't deal with, you can't fix, you can't solve. Maybe you're in the middle of God taking you through your river. Maybe, uh, like me from the stories earlier, you've got, you're the other side of a river and you can look back and see the miracles that God has done. But when we're faced with those uncertainties, sometimes God's going to part it in front of you and say, hey, let me make this really clear for you. Sometimes when that's already happened and your faith in God has grown, God's going to say, I want you to make a move. And to you, it's the first move. It's the handing in your notice. It's the doing something different. Let me tell you, if that's where you are and God said to you, step out into the river, he's already stopped the water. You don't have to wait for God to stop it. He's already done it. He's just waiting for you to step out into it. And sometimes you're going to go through circumstances and it's going to feel like God's not answering you and you're going to have to swim. I don't know where you are, but I loved Elena's prayer from earlier because that was how I was going to pray to finish. So thanks for stealing that. Whatever you are about to go through or going through, The faithful God is there with you. The faithful God will part the waves so that you can go through. And even if the waves are not parted, he'll help you swim. But this I know, God will never leave you on the wrong side of the river. He will never leave you on the wrong side of the river there is always a way across. And 
all God asks us to do is stand before him, kneel before him, and say, God, I trust you with this. I trust you with this. What do you want me to do? Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.